Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 2nd of August 2021. August this year, we haven't seen any wheat cut, really. A couple of people have tried. It's soaking wet. It's not ripe. And all right, there's the odd diddy little bit being reported, but it is not coming in any volume, which leaves us with an incredibly tight Monday morning for wheat. A number of merchants committed to equal weekly quantities of deliveries where they guess how much old crop and how much new crop is going to make up the August deliveries. And anyone who kind of overcommitted to that is without doubt struggling to find supply. And the interesting thing will be, will some fixings get missed on Monday or Tuesday? Because apparently, if you look up in the French equivalent of the Oxford Dictionary, you know, they have the French Sorbonne Dictionary, whatever it is, under the word lescargo, we all know to be snails. But there's a second meaning, which means in a year where the UK needs wheat and has commitment, you can use the less cargo tactic. And that's exactly what's going on. Some of them haven't turned up on time. I've already told that joke three or four times, so I'm not laughing at my own jokes this morning, but I think that's incredibly funny. So the point being that East Anglia relies upon some early people cutting and supplying the first week of August, and a number of farmers, unfortunately, are finding the true meaning of being screwed when someone is trying to uh, say, you're not going to supply it, therefore it's going to cost you. And some of the default prices that are being allegedly put out there are a little bit harsh. We're not involved at all in that market because at some point in your past, you have to try these things. And if you get your fingers burnt on it, it puts you off and who needs the stress with all the other things going on. Anyway, old crop feed wheat traded at 200x farm for volume in East Anglia for this week because in order for someone to definitely clear their head and not have to spend their time trying to find one load here and part load there and what have you bang you can have that tonnage at that price and we got it booked I think the true value for next week will be determined totally by the weather but a spot of excitement and yeah a good tail end if anyone is hanging on and still hanging on for something goodness knows what they're hanging on for please remember that new crop prices are the best part of £40 lower if you're comparing it directly with as available wheat so over to you a mathematical equation for you sell it now or sell it for £40 less in a week's time up to you Right, so moving on from old crop wheat, which has been, to say the least, fun. I think this is going to be a bit of a long podcast. I've got a conversation with Bob Claben, who is the chairman of Ours from Grain Limited, coming after this. And it's a celebration of 40 years of that cooperative. You know, farmers' stores, everyone looks at the charges per tonne. In reality, I am certain, year after year, we more than cover those charges and give people more back for it. But until you become a believer, you'll carry on doing it yourself. But the conversation with Bob covers that, and I think it's going to be quite a long one, because I want to run run on a bit on what the market's doing. So let's talk about the big stuff, okay? Because some things influence things immediately locally and other things are influenced the overriding market in the future. So the big stuff 
In the last 24 hours, there's been a couple of analysts who've put the Russian wheat crop down a few tonnes. Now, their estimates were something like 81 million tonnes, and they've written them down to 77 million tonnes. So they've taken 4 million tonnes off. If you compare their estimate with the USDA's figure, which is currently 85 million tonnes, that's 8 million tonnes difference. Now, that's big news. That's probably part of what's going on in the market at the moment, I think. You've got big news like Canada ongoing misery. That isn't kind of new news. That's just been there and isn't really recovering. There's been some rains, but not enough. And there's you know, obviously sensational pictures on Twitter of crops being silaged because it's not going to make anything. US, I think underlyingly it's clear that the corn crop will not be a failure. And with that in mind, that underlyingly is a big bearish kind of underlying. It ain't going to go through the roof because there doesn't seem to be enough to make that market go nuts. Some areas have failed. But some of the key bigger areas are going to have a bigger crop. So I think there is not going to be a 30 million tonne missing tonnage. I think it's going to be an OK crop, which means there's going to be enough supply of it. The other big news is that recently French wheat's been bought. And I think that's more to do with quality than anything else. There's been lots of rain in Europe. And the spec of some of the milling wheats is definitely down. If you buy a milling wheat French contract, that is sort of guaranteeing, or should guarantee, I say, a Hagberg and a good kilo weight and some milling quality wheat. And I think people are buying quality at the moment as some form of insurance because it looks like the weather is not being particularly generous at the wrong moment. So I think those are the key big issues that have fueled what can be described as an incredibly violent week's trading. Because when we last recorded the podcast, we predicted it would go up. And in fact, it went straight down £7 a tonne to 174 on the North Futures. And then this morning, it traded as high as 185. All right, it's back, as I record right now, at 181 again. So in the roller coaster that is the grain market, it has moved £9 a tonne from bottom to top in a very short space of time. And if anyone said they could predict that and they knew that was going to happen, then they're not talking straight. Moving on to the influences, you know, what's happening with our harvest? Feed barley. It's yielding okay. It's not great. The kilowatts of some of the hybrid varieties and the expected feed barley six rows and the two rows even, the kilowatts are poor. There's some issues. Some of them are okay, but largely there is a low kilowatt, which is going to bring the yield down. I think we're looking at seven, eight tonnes a hectare at best. So nothing sensational there. Disappointing finish. Rain, not enough sunshine, so the grain is not very bold. There are people with boats to fill who anticipated there being a lot of barley around. And bearing in mind with the malting barley, the nitrogens are all low. If the retentions are reasonably high, all of it's getting used or being tucked away. We have not rejected a single load of craft malting barley at all. Even the low retention stuff, we're putting in a bin, we're going to try and preserve it for our members to get a premium for it. And we're screening it up, all right, the screenings will go away. We've experimented doing it. The actual screenings, once you've cleaned all of the crud that you guys let come through your combine, the kilo weight of our screenings is 64.65, so it's still feed barley. But the stuff that remains is getting the retention back up to 60.65, and it's very clean. So I think that will be usable, especially as the bushel weight for that is about 67.66. So it's decent barley and can be used as malting so nil rejections on the malting barley front means feed barley hasn't got an extra pressure on it yet feed barley price roughly around 145x it did try to go down at the moment there's a few people with boats about who are going to pay more money than that because they need the barley to fill the boat so there could be some life in the short term on feed barley for spot movement 
Right, malting barley. I've mentioned about the craft and no rejections. The value of craft malting barley for perfect barley is 170. I think one or two people have had some difficult decisions to make and one or two of our competitors are possibly being a little harsher on the retention side of things or haven't got the facilities to clean it up. So whoever trades with them is in the feed bin. All right, it's not a disaster, but unless you're being defaulted for not supplying the malting barley, which could be an issue. I do think that one might hot up a little because I am beginning to get a bit concerned about the spring barley crop still out there in the field still probably 10 days away getting knocked around by rain getting knocked around by wind and it needs sunshine it needs to finish better and it's not in a great place at the moment now i'm expecting nitrogens to be low yields to be good but i'm not absolutely certain that all of it's going to make it because if you get weather or if you get stuff that's gone flat you are asking for trouble putting it into store. I'm nervous about it. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope it's all fantastic and clean, and most of it's still standing at this point. But there is a week to 10 days of weather, and the weather forecast is not good. So slightly nervous about that. And that will make the winter barley more attractive if there is problems coming in with the springs. We will wait. We will hope that I'm wrong on what I'm saying about the spring barley. Europe also hasn't had a great time through the rain with all of the crop is not making it in the malting bin so it's getting tighter the supply and the yield isn't stupendous so it is a market that does not feel it's like it's going to fall away and I think that's a really important point so don't get rushed into doing something dim by somebody who's kind of pushing you. So moving on, we've moved everything that we can on our winter barley. This leads on to the, an issue that is really coming to the fore this year, and that is availability of haulage. Lorries are not about. We have gone crazy to move our winter barley. We're trying to finish everything that is cut up to this point. And by Monday, everything should be in as best we can within a spit or certainly lined up to move. And several places have not even started intake yet, which is scary. Because if you start forcing extra movement of grain, winter barley, spring barley, Orchid rape and wheat into a short space and there's a lack of lorries you know and individuals can blame covid or they can blame brexit or they can blame goodness knows what there's a shortage of drivers and uk grain drivers are being tempted away from our lovely little world and delivering stuff for amazon and for supermarkets and that is going to mean haulage rates not it does mean it has meant haulage rates are going up the uk grain trade largely works sweeping statement but when you're bidding on farm one percent there's no more room for you lot to screw us any lower than that therefore something has to give on the x farm price or delivered mill price but somewhere in there is the difference the haulage rates are going up or have gone up and meeting fixings is going to become a harder and harder process so just bear that in mind it is going to be very hard having stores and being able to service stuff and have stores are open seven till seven six days a week and really actively being involved in harvest will give us a massive advantage other people have not got that behind them they're relying on third parties to give them fixings the mills the molsters whatever close at two or three depending on whether it's a friday or not and they're not open at the weekends and those in the middle of harvest are issues how much is it worth to physically get that stuff away to then let the next crop in and i think that's a critical point either people invest in providing a service or you recognize you're trading with them and they are unable to do it and they can blame everybody else if they like the reality is you need your merchant to be able to cope stroke help you if you're in a muddle to get the stuff out of the way advert over blood on the carpet right oilseed rape 
probably there'll be some harvest pressure on it. It's about to start, or it is starting. The early samples are yielding between three and four tonnes a hectare. They're tolerable, stroke okay, considering some of the fears we had in the year. Price about 440 for harvest movement at the moment. As I say, there should be a little bit of harvest pressure, but I doubt there'll be much. Most importantly, hopefully this is not going to be the case across the board, but I suspect it will due to the lack of sunshine. But the oils appear to be low. They're certainly lower than last year, and I think that you could well see oils under 40%. So, you know, if you bear in mind the same scale applies for bonuses or if it's negative, it becomes a discount. So it's not a claim, it's just not a bonus and it's the same scale. If it's 40% oil is the traded contract and it's 39%, you've got 1% less of the product that people want. More importantly, if there is 39% average oil content for the crop, less oil means less oil, which that underlyingly means the supply of oil is reduced. Therefore, the price should have some sort of benefit from it. New crop feed wheat is riding the roller coaster of all the things I spoke about earlier. The price range I've mentioned, it's been up and down. Some of the time you've got no idea what happens next, so we're trying to give people a reasonable price. These are good prices historically. We're not that far off the contract highs. This is possibly a good time to sell it. I would say in between now and next week, the market's going to go sideways to up because there is pressure on nothing being cut. The week after that, probably the same sort of mood. Might start to see a bit of harvesty, sort of there's plenty of wheat around, we all feel better. But I suspect this shortage of wheat in East Anglia is going to continue for at least another two weeks, especially with an unfavourable weather forecast. Underlyingly, I mentioned the corn crop in the States. If that is half decent as a crop and there is lots of the milling wheat being kicked into touch, that is underlyingly bearish to feed wheat prices. That is a fact. Somewhere in this autumn, the price should be moving down or will be moving down. And that is subject to a whole lot of weather that's going to occur in the next four weeks that I can't predict. But let's assume the UK crop is getting smaller because the kilo weights are not going to be 82. They're going to be perhaps 78 or 77 or 76. And each one kilo that comes off is about 1.2% less yield. The sunshine not being here, you know, that's going to have an impact on us. The disease that crept into the crop is going to have an impact on the crop size. So the crop size is shrinking. We still have a certain surplus probably but not as much of one so it is a tighter book and I think once you get harvest pressure out the way and I see harvest pressure is occurring in September and I see it happening with wet harvest and distressed grain not being able to move there's no boats sold for September of any note and that in itself will not help people who've got damp grain because we're five pounds non-competitive at the moment in September to sell a fresh cargo so right now there's room for that if there's too much grain moving or people have to move grain because they haven't got aeration or whatever to keep the grain there will be pressure on the market I think in September that's when the weakest point will come beyond then once the barn doors are shut I think they will be properly shut for quite a long period as we wait and watch and see what the autumn brings I think we're nearly there aren't we just a thought if we do get another wet autumn and people can't get wheat in the ground then without doubt we're going to be in the same scenario looking at the following year production is less than consumption in the world so 200 pounds a ton here we come but if we have a decent autumn i think everyone will feel a little bit more comfy with it and it perhaps hasn't got that potential but it is so up for grabs and who knows what happens next so with that the only final thing i wanted to mention that webby told me to say this there was a guy on tv on look east in east anglia bbc look east is a regional program that had a token farmer coming on saying how terrible the hail damage on his farm was and it was absolutely appalling you get golf ball sized hailstones which we're not used to in the UK smashing our crops the crop gets decimated so here is something obvious to most of us insure your product I'm sure most of you do insure your product 
And if you don't insure your product, that makes you a dimwit, does it not? Forgive me, whoever that man was. But you can't come on television and say, we need to have some compensation from the taxpayer because this crop spoiled. If you can buy insurance for 1,500 quid, which is three tonnes of rape, then buy insurance. You are a farmer. Global warming is happening. We have to expect compromised weather ongoing and in the form of extreme heat and more importantly the follow-up thunderstorms so i think crop insurance this will probably do the nfu insurance the world of good but make sure you are insured anyway with that on to me talking to the glorious chairman of ailsham grain mr bob claben thank you thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week's edition is a celebration of 40 years of Ailsham Grain. We've got a happy birthday party. And with me this morning, I have the current chairman, Mr. Bob Claben. Hi, Bob. Morning, Andrew. What I'd like to do, Bob, is just kind of go through the early days, because I only joined in 1996. And so 1981 was a lot of years previous to that. Let's get back to the very early days. You'd have been a bit young yourself, but who was involved? Because your dad was the original chairman, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the original chairman. I think he thought they had a few meetings around the kitchen table to start with, but then in 81, they had a meeting in the community centre. Yeah, because that's the one that's the first one that's minuted, isn't it? Yeah, that's the first. Yes, Simon Shaw, our vice chairman secretary, found out the old minute book, which I've been reading. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was John Alston, Billy Hammond... Well, let's just mention, as you write straight away, Billy Hammond has unfortunately in the last week has passed away, hasn't he? So one of the original stalwarts has left us. I saw Jack, who we'll mention in a minute or two, his son, and as Jack put it on his death certificate, they've written the phrase, died of old age, which is a rare thing nowadays. So Billy Hammond, what a stalwart and what a hard-working, incredible member of the cooperative he was. Well, he was because he was involved right from the beginning and was involved in the sort of mechanical side and setting up the grain store. And to think that they, in February at 81, they had a meeting and actually got some commitment. And then by July 81, they'd got a grain store that actually took delivery. So (laughs) he obviously had to work incredibly hard to get everything organised. Well, it was a field, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just a bit of field beside Elsham Grower's site. Yeah, we got a picture on the wall in the Weybridge of some sugar beet planted alongside where the bins were being built. And, you know, all of that is now industrial units, isn't it? But um, back in the day, it was a particularly rural site, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, it was the old mill across the road. But other than that, it was literally a field. It's since got an awful lot of houses and a lot of building up around it now. Yeah, so our life in those days was, you know, a bit of dust could blow wherever it likes. Nowadays, we can't have any (laughs) dust at all, can we? Well, yeah, when Dad was first thinking about it, he was sort of thinking, more to be in North Norfolk's council area and uh, nearer to North Welsham but he couldn't get planning for that so it ended up being at Elsham because Broadland were interested in having an industrial estate in their wisdom they've now built a few houses around it but there you go (laughs) 
And it is in their wisdom. But I mean, we've had our moments in the past where a pipe's got blocked and we've covered everybody in dust and we've had to go out cleaning cars and sweeping yards and doing all sorts of stuff. But as a grain store, you cannot avoid dust at all. We've spent a very large amount of money on dust extraction. And with the best will in the world, I'll touch wood here, we've had, I'm talking this up, aren't I? we've had four years, five years without any complaints at all. So, you know, Rob and the guys have done a phenomenally good job at keeping the place clean, as best you can. Consider- yeah, yeah, but you're always going to get dust, aren't you? Yeah. You know, as much as we can do with trailer socks and the fans he's got, you're going to get dust out of a grain store. Yeah. In saying that, I look back, there's a file in the cabinet of the legal action that a particular neighbour and a couple of other people joined in with in opposition to the grain store. So it wasn't as straightforward as that. We obviously won and got the thing built, but there was opposition even in the early days. I can't name the bloke. Yeah, I think there was. And there was opposition from other farmers as well. You know, there was non-support for it. Dad was struggling to get members. It was quite interesting. In one meeting they had in February... I think they'd got a commitment of about 3,000 tonne. They then said they'll pause for coffee. And uh, obviously the initial directors were out cajoling people and whatnot, trying to get an increased tonnage. By the time they'd had a cup of coffee, I think it was about 5,200 tonnes. So I don't know what they put in the coffee in the community centre that day, but... (laughs) Seemed to work. Several people bleeding on the floor. Yeah, no, so yeah, I'll do some tonnage if you let go of my arm. But yeah, well, the thing is you had to get a certain number of tonnes in order to get the grants, the, the Cosiga grant that was available at the time, wasn't it? So they paid... 40% was it or 25 I don't know about the actual percentage but it was a big percentage which enabled building a grain store to, you know lots of grain stores formed around that time you know the money was available via Europe and it was a very sensible thing to do a damn sight cheaper than building it on your own farm by having a cooperative you got grant aid which was you know vital the initial build was for 8,000 tonnes, so I think they had to get 6,400 to get the grant, which they sort of succeeded in doing eventually. Yeah, which with that in mind, I mean that in modern times, once you've built a site, you have to then employ people and you can't just have, well you could in those days just have one person probably because health and safety wasn't quite such an issue, but in practical terms you couldn't have just one person pressing all the buttons working the Weybridge. So there was two people or three people employed for the harvest period, but two people pretty well for the whole of of the year and their salaries against 6,000, 8,000 tonnes or whatever, you know, it's a very, very big cost, isn't it? The early day charges at Aylsham were pretty expensive. Yeah, they were originally, but we did only have one man. Richard Ash was the first manager, mm. and for most of the year, he was there on his own until we had a bit for health and safety issue so he did have to get someone to help him yeah i mean it's so it's easy nowadays with alsham having done 40 years and you know lots and lots of the depreciation paid off and the charges are now coming down we've dropped them for the second year on the trot haven't we which is great the members get the reward for that but the real hard yards were done in the first probably 15 20 years weren't they you know the more expensive charges relative to where they are now Yeah, it was quite expensive to start with, but, you know, it had to get it going. And obviously people were interested because the original was 8,000. I think by, was it 86, we were up to 10,000 and it's now at 21, which is as big as it's going to get due to the planning. Yeah, we've got no more space, have we? No, there's nowhere (laughs) else to put anything. Well, not economically, anyway. There was a moment when I put in front of you the opportunity to expand to a second site, and you've been supportive of the air grain operation, but the decision within the board of Alsham was not to grow. And to a large degree, it's a very sensible thing, because the people who are there are largely the same people. There's a few changes hands when someone retires or what have you. So all of their hard work and effort and expenses paid in previous years means that their charges are dropping and they're getting the reward for all of those efforts. 
by sitting there just on a 21,000 tonne site, the reality is Aylsham is the only cooperative, the only farmers' grain cooperative, that didn't either go broke or was going broke and had to get saved, stroke, taken over by, you know, a more multinational organisation. You know, you are truly the only independent grain store in East Anglia that survived. Yeah, which is a credit to all the members because, it, you know, it wasn't cheap to start with, but we did look at buying the Cantley site, but felt that had we bought it, we'd have had to have kept charges up. Mm. And at that actual time, there wasn't that many people banging on the door actually wanting to be members. So we did sort of do a bit of a poll to see whether we could get new membership, but no one was that interested at the time. But isn't that the age old thing? There's people who join who suddenly kind of twig how or why it works really well. But people from the outside look at the store charges and go, oh, that's too much. I'm, you know, I can do that for free in my own shed. Well, I think people do look at that, but they don't actually take into account, you know, they have to pay a man to sit on the forklift to load the corn out. They have to run the fans and electricity. So there's a lot of stuff that people, I believe, just don't look at. The other fact is that I haven't had a rejection of a load of corn in probably... 40 years, I suppose. No. Once it gets over the Weybridge, it's the responsibility of the store to make sure it's up to spec. But, I mean, the costs on farm, you know, bins, sweeping them out. I once very nearly put an advert in the paper, a little cartoon I drew, of this old boy with a comb over and a fork saying, come on, Sonny, come and help me sweep the bins out. And there's a teenage kid with a mobile phone. He goes, nah, granddad, I'm too busy playing on my Xbox or whatever. And then the old grumpy farmer says, yeah, your father wasn't too sharp at sweeping out bins either. In other words, when grandpa dies, there's no one left who's prepared to sweep the bins out and how much value is that you know the real hard work of doing it so it's cleaned down thoroughly so there aren't any bugs so it's ready for next year servicing the dryer blah 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 all of those things are truly stressful time consuming not particularly healthy and it's all done by somebody else it's like off your hands isn't it yeah you just run your corn into Elsham either most people are using lorries now. We're still doing a majority of ours with tractor and trailer, and so it's sort of half a dozen other farms, but mostly it's lorries now. But once you've tipped it, weighed out, that's the end of it then, bar leaving during grain to the marketing. Yeah. So, yeah, the worry's gone as far as I'm concerned. Well, except for the marketing side, but for the actual storage side, <laughs> yeah. someone else's problem. Yeah, no, we're doing all right so far, I think, but... I think the true dynamic of having lots of people commit grain to a central point and having all of the kit to clean it up, because Alstom hasn't wimped out of buying the kit it needs, is we've been able, as a cooperative store, to get some phenomenally strong contracts on malting barley, which is a big area of dispute each year. Now, this year in particular, there's a lot of thin grain. The nitrogens are brilliant. The moisture's okay. We can dry that down anyway. It's nice and clean. But there's some of it with too low retention. On contract with someone to a molster, you're in the feed bin and you're in a distressed feed sale position. It's a lower price. You're on contract with someone who's no, it's not up to spec. This is your feed price. And you get, I don't know, £140 a tonne for it. If you are a store member, one, we bust a gut to try and make it pass. And in this case, we're going to screen up all of the barley that's below the right retention, take out all of the screenings. So 70 to 80% of it's going to be paid the full malting price. And the balance will still be the same price as feed. So that, as an on cost, is a benefit of being in the store. And you haven't been rejected. More importantly, you can sell the feed barley later because you say, well, I'll shove it in store, we'll sell it in May. And you're damn sight much more likely to get a bigger price after storage costs than a spot harvest feed barley selling under pressure price. 
that as a benefit every single year is definitely one of the big things, I think. Yeah, without doubt. The fact that, you know, I was in yesterday with a load of barley. Ours, we've had quite a lot of screenings. Hasn't been the best of years, but I was talking to Rob and he's got a thousand tonne already Mm. that he needs to screen, but he will screen it and it'll go up to spec. And like you've just said, the farmers will end up with a good price for most of it. They'll get a premium. They'll get a, a, you know, feed plus whatever. And the bit that comes out of screenings will go out as feed price. So it's a straight better price, which you can only offer to farmers who come into the store. I think the biggest, though, the biggest benefit of Aylsham in particular was, and I remember when I first joined, I thought, this is a nutty idea. What on earth is going on here? We have a deal at Aylsham where the store charges are done on a 15 to 19% basis. And if it comes in under 15, you get a £2 discount, which is bugger all, really. But the reality is you as a farmer can come in at 18.9% moisture and it won't cost you any more money at all than someone at 15.1 moisture. And I used to think that was a silly idea until you realise that Aylsham farmers finish first every time, don't they? They don't hesitate and go, oh, I'll better wait till it's 15% before I start. They've been combining for three hours. And then at the end of the day, when the mist starts coming in, they get an extra hour out of it as well. And it only costs them two quid. Yeah, I mean, it's great from our point of view because we've got farm right on the coast. So we do get a bit of scud coming in off the North Sea. So normally it would be a very late start. But yeah, with the under 19%, we can get going the same time as everyone else and keep going until the evening. So yeah, it works well. And we brought in the commitment levy just to encourage farmers to actually use the space because we were starting to get to the point where some weren't in a particularly dry year. Mm-hmm. And for Andrew was to do our budget and you <laughs> end up being 5,000 tonnes short or whatever makes it a bit difficult. So we brought in the commitment levy and you know brought the handling charges down. So it seems to work. Like Andrew said, Elsham members seem to stop, finish harvest earlier than most. I mean, the other thing, the store charges are done in a commitment levy is £9 a tonne. And then now, if it's between 15 and 19%, I think it's a fiver now, isn't it? Yeah, £5 a tonne. So it's £14 total. But that includes the drying charge. And then on top of that, you get a haulage rebate, which, you know, is two, three, four, two, two, three, four pounds a tonne. You know, that brings it down to below 10 for store income. And it's being dried for the fee, which, you know, it's incredibly cheap relative to actually doing all of that yourself. Plus, you get the premium for the malting barley contracts we have in there, or a premium. It's delivered maltsters price to your local store, which is a brilliant contract. And on top of that, we're a future store as well, which is also a premium to yeah, the X-Farm, isn't it? Being a future store is great, because you just get the added benefit of the price. reflected price. You know, from the point of view of being under 19%, I mean, my son's now going out with the moisture meter and desperately trying to get combining all the time. And I just say, well, as long as you can get it into Welshman under 19, go whenever you like, because... Yeah. For a £2 difference between that and 15 it's virtually irrelevant, really, especially if we're going to get £880, £190 a tonne. Yeah. And At least it's in the shed. Thunderst- the quality is still there. Thunderstorms. How much Peter Mind is there to have it in the barn as opposed to in the field? There's thunderstorms forecast for today, aren't there? And it's like, oh, is it going to come and hit us in North Walsham? Well, we keep missing them at the moment. My daughter works in a shop near Norwich, south of Norwich, and she heard thunder on Sunday, but she didn't actually get the rain. But we didn't get any thunderstorms on Sunday, thank goodness. Well, I'm going to drop in here that Andrew Squirrel, who farms in Suffolk and trades with us, told us, I believe I've got this right, he didn't speak to me personally, but he said yesterday that they had had seven inches of rain in an hour and a half. Was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want that. No. Not at this stage. I hate to think what that means to the rape crop and whatever was left standing. His winter barley had been done, but boy, that doesn't sound good. I certainly don't want that to happen up here. 
Global warming means more warm temperatures, but which means more violent thunderstorms, which doesn't bode well for the future. I hope you lot are getting crop insurance, by the way. I'm sure the NFU are putting their prices up on that, but yeah, that needs to be done from now on, I think, if you aren't doing it already. Let's just go back to the dynamic in the first place. Your dad was the first chairman. He handed over to John Alston, didn't he? Yeah, John Alston was dad's vice chairman from the start and was then chairman of Elsham Grain Marketing. Dad sort of got it going and got it to where he wanted and due to circumstances decided that he'd step down as chairman and handed over to John. So John was chairman. And he kept chairman until the year 2000, didn't he? Because it was John who took me on in 96. He was the chairman at the time. You had the podcast with Jimmy Alston not long ago that I listened to and was thinking, yeah, I remember all those conversations at Bradfield Cricket Club. But You were one of the keenest fielders, if I remember rightly. You used to stand there with your pint. Well, as long as I could stand out of the way with my pint, yeah. <laughs> and if I didn't have to bat, I was even happier. I remember those conversations and John had said to me, what do you think to Andrew Dewing? And I said, what is Seems all right. Yeah, I haven't actually dealt with him yet. But from what I hear on the trade, he seems to be doing very well. So yeah, all these conversations were going around. And then yeah, you came in, was it 96? Yeah. So not only is Elsham celebrating 40 harvests or 40 years, we've also got a 25-year celebration of Andrew Dewing involved with Elsham. quarter of a century, and all of the profits of doom were wrong, weren't they? Yes. We didn't blow it and go wrong. We expanded, and yeah, well, the rest is history. The board did get a bit nervous at times when he started (laughs) talking about options and futures and whatnot, and thinking, my God, is this the chap that's going to bankrupt us? God, it took some years to get the store registered as a future store. If you remember, we discussed it. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, and it took eight just to get everyone to go oh, all right then because they wanted two old stalwarts on the board who were a little what shall i call them skeptical yes i think <laughs> i think that could be one description yes <laughs> i had a little trouble with one guy in particular who used to just give me grief but yeah in the end we did win through and yeah proved not to be a heretic it wasn't that complex i do remember going down to london with brooke harris who was secretary and john alston when we had to open the futures account Basically, we spent about 20 minutes in the office looking around the World Trade Centre, it was called, near Tower Bridge, and spent the rest of the day in the pub. <laughs> piling, <laughs> Sounds like a good trip to London to me. <laughs> piling drinking to the chairman. You know, that was, God, that was a long time ago. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, these are simple little things that, as long as the trader is not an idiot and not going to take chances with other people's money, it's a straightforward process, isn't it? It's the best customer we have is the futures market. It pays us the biggest cheque every single year because that's where our wheat is sold. And all we have to do is make sure it's physically there and deliver it when people want to collect it. And it isn't that complex, is it? Everyone was scared of it, but it is straightforward. Well, it is straightforward. Well, I'm not saying it is straightforward. There's still bits and pieces you discuss that you lose me at times. But uh, on the whole, yeah, it's been a very good thing for both parties, I feel. You know, we've had, since you've joined, the store has nearly doubled in size. Mm. The turnover through the store, I mean, some years we've broken 30,000 tonnes. That's a very good point. Through a 21,000 tonne store. With a dry harvest, traditionally, grain central stores don't take enough tonnes in and they charge a commitment levy and most stores keep it or keep most of it or all of it and they're pretty hefty charges if you don't use the storage space there's a certain big and wonderful store that charges the full whack whether you use the space or not which is outrageous but we actually if people don't use the store give them a rebate don't we yeah we give money back so they end up paying i think it's just four pounds a ton if they don't use it it's enough of a deterrent to put people off just not using the store we need money to run the store 
But my job, if the store isn't being used, is to be bright enough to work it out during harvest and fill it with other people's tonnage. So we work on our budget of being a 24,000 tonne throughput on a 21,000 tonne store, which means I'm expecting to get stuff in and out, screened, dried, whatever, a bonus for tonnage, and the store gets extra income because the staff are there anyway. Make the assets sweat a bit harder than just taking it in, sitting there for a year and letting it go out in May, which works, doesn't it? Well, it does. I mean, and also being involved with the dewing grain side, you know, you've also got stores dotted all over the place that you're controlling that you're then moving. Well, we've got members from Acle and Direction. Well, they haven't cut any corn to Elsham for years because it goes to Cantley because it's a lot cheaper for the haulage. So with you doing that and then vice versa. So you're trying to save the farmer's money. We try to save the planet, Bob, actually. Is that what you do? Global warming is less because of us. We've stopped lorries travelling all the way to Aylsham on the rubbish roads to Aylsham. There's a good reason. That is the trouble with Aylsham. There isn't a decent route to it. Unless you're Jack Hammond and you come down the road from (laughs) Oldborough. But it is a rubbish place to have a grain store in the context of the Norfolk roads. But by having other stores within the group and the trust of everyone saying, OK, we're going to put 500 tonnes of wheat into Honningham from the guys over at Hockerings, it's three miles away. They save money. They get it done really quickly. We then replace their tonnage at Aylsham with with either quality malting barley or with other wheat. And the point is, it is a logistical management thing, but it's a cost-saving, a time-saving. As long as the stores are open the same hours and they have the same mentality about get it tipped, and we manage the aspect of making sure the store members only pay, you know, the store charges, everyone wins on that. And you're right, it does work, and it does make harvest much more efficient. I mean, we've got 4,000 tonnes of winter barley in Aylsham already, and barely anyone else has even started intake. They're checking the samples still and it's really funny it's like by the time they get intaking we've finished it's a mentality that that's what farmers want if anyone's listening what farmers want is to cut it and move it and not get shafted on deliveries at the minute they've cut it so it's gone yeah well most of ours is in the same day we do dump in a shed from time to time if we're too far from the store and can't keep the combine going but yeah it works well for us yeah well and hopefully one or two people listening thinking yeah i'm going to keep doing it my own shed and sweeping out the bins and i got bugs last year and it's going to be wet this year should i cut no i'll leave it oops thunderstorms ruined my crop the story of central storage actually if you take a 10-year period wins I know it wins. Without a shadow of a doubt. It it just makes life so much more simple. But if people don't cost their time and so on, you know, on at the next. But anyway, Ailsham Grain, success story. The store charges to me look like they're going to come down as the years go on because our depreciation is pretty well, other than recent, since you've been chairman, there's been a very big investment in maintenance and really dolling the site up. I mean, we're good as new, aren't we? When John Elston was chairman, he built it to where it was, and then Jack Hammond took over as chairman. And Jack, well, he built up the business to have an awful lot of money in it. So we then started paying back loans after 12 years. We always said if we hadn't got the money, it wouldn't be 12 years. So it wasn't actually written in stone. But every year we've managed to pay back the loans after 12 years members initially made. So members' loans is the farmers gave money to the cooperative. And then after 12 years, the cooperative said they hoped to pay everybody back that same money. And the farmers still owned the storage space. So it's effectively an interest-free loan. And with that money, we built the store and got ourselves strong enough. Aylsham consistently paid everybody back in 12 years. So whoever owns space there has not only paid for the tonnage, they've had all their money back. And now they own an asset well the first store which cost 25 pounds a ton and last month we had a tender which was over 80 pounds a ton wasn't it yeah and it was oversubscribed for what people wanted to buy to what was available so it is obviously yeah. a tradable asset yeah 
But, you know, Jack's time, he didn't spend lots and lots of money on maintenance. We got a little bit tired around the site, didn't we? So you came in as a new chairman and started blowing cash away like a crazy man. And I thought, oh, blimey, this is going to be a bit expensive. With the benefit of hindsight, 100% the right decision. We're in such a good place now. The benefits in terms of breakdowns and that pit that used to have, every time it got blocked up, do you remember having to dig it out? Digging it out. Oh, man. The times I've run out of my office to help just to, like, make it look like I was busy. But... No. But we were having board meetings. We got Jake Portfleet was on the board at that time. Yeah, and uh, he took over on the uh, looking after the machinery side. So he was the one that was sort of meeting the store manager and the people that were going to put it in. And every meeting he'd come and he'd say, well, yes, but we need another conveyor now. So there's another 20,000. So it was a bit of a standing joke that Jack made all the money and Jake was just going to spend it all in our board meetings. £100,000 a year for several years we've done. And all of a sudden we've got new conveyors at the top, new conveyors at the bottom, new elevators, new intake pits. You know, we are pretty spanky. The dryer, it's still in good condition. It's got another five or six years for sure if we keep looking after it we're in a great place and i can't see we have a maintenance budget which is too generous still even rob's running out of ideas rob is a store manager even rob's running out of ideas of what to do isn't he yeah (laughs) which is good we're in a position now where hopefully we can just bring charges down more and more yeah where does ailsham go to next you know what's the next thing that's a good question that bob it is a good question i'm not sure that it might be the question for the next chairman really The only way I can see it, we can't expand where it is. Potentially, if we had enough interest, we could potentially build a sort of maybe a flat store on a neighbouring farm where we could still use the Elsham facilities and maybe just store dry corn or move corn around. But that has been discussed at board. But at the moment, yeah, it's where it is. And I think basically after all the years of, well, I won't say high charges, but they've been reasonably high. They were quite high in the early days. Perhaps the best thing is just to bring the charges down just to be an extension of the farm store and uh, keep running it as it is because it's seems to work we've got two brilliant members of staff that work well together rob is very good at managing the store and he's now got niall with him who's mechanically minded and they seem to get through most things on their own rob's done an electrical course so he can do the basic electrics himself so yeah i think the store's in a fantastic place just to uh, hopefully bring charges down more and more depends where gas and electricity go they're some of our biggest expenses yeah. and then like andrew said in five years time we're probably going to have to have a new dryer i mean store charges in my view will definitely keep falling so anyone who owns space at alsham is going to see inflation everywhere else you know certainly building grain storage is going through the roof with concrete and steel prices so you know any tonnage available at alsham is worth gobbling up in my view because it is in such a strong financial position and for the members yeah i think it's a great model just keep ticking along people can take the mickey out of alsham saying oh it never expanded it never did that i had that particular tease from a certain large cooperative store corporation that effectively fell on its face and here we sit charging half as much as they do in real terms there's no hidden charges there's no we don't nick the screenings do we we don't take dust no uh, you are paid a hundred percent for the tonnage that comes over the Weybridge, and the rest of them have these little sneaky charges so i think for the store members it's just going to get better and better it's a fabulous success story so i think on that basis bob i think we'll wrap up this part i'm, I'm going to do a second part with you because i'm going to talk to you about farming in a minute so, Ailsham, we're going to celebrate our 40 years this September, aren't we? We've got a little... Well, I think it's October the 1st now. Yeah, because of me. Because of Andrew, <laughs> yes. <laughs> rest of the board don't know that yet. But, uh, yeah, October the 1st, we're having a celebration. A party. Yeah, a party. It was decided that it needed a feminine influence. So, 
my wife Rachel's been conned into doing it. So. Yeah, no, good, good as a relief, because otherwise it'd be just kill a pig and a couple of beers, wouldn't it? Yeah, so we're having the feminine touch with sort of canapes and whatnot, and all members are invited, and then the staff that go into Elsham and partners, so hopefully it'll be a yeah, the, good the, night. The proper Elsham Get crew. everyone together yeah. after harvest. Yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant plan. It will technically be the end of our 41st harvest because that first year you were able to build it, or Billy Hammond oversaw building it between February and July, which was a miracle from scratch. And I think, you know, so it's our 41st harvest. It's 40 years of ours from grain. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to the party and getting everybody there to just realise the understated firm in Norfolk has been a phenomenal success. So I think it's a great credit to all of those that went before you and yourself, Bob. So well done, you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.